I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people asked me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course. Hi, I'm Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy, and the host of the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast. When I share the story of this podcast, I often talk about the interview I did with Dan Mangena in the summer of 2021, where I asked the question, what makes you awesome? And he said, Asperger's. And that started a whole line of thinking that ultimately led to the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast, as he shared the fact that Asperger's and his autism spectrum has given him the ability to achieve wealth and success because he can see things that others cannot. So I thought it made sense to share that original episode, original interview in the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast feed. So what you're about to hear is an episode from season three of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. Uh, so I don't want anyone to get confused when you hear different music and different introduction and all that. Uh, this is from long ago, 2021, still pretty current. And Dan Mangan is still an awesome guy, friend of mine. Client. I still work with him many different ways, uh, and he's an inspiration to me as well. So you're going to learn a lot from this podcast in a number of ways, but this is where it all began with the initial interview on the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with Dan Mangena. So take a listen. It's a bit longer than the format of the Neurodiversity Superpowers podcast, which I tend to keep under half an hour, but I think you're going to find it worth it because Dan's got a lot of great stuff to share. So here you go. Check it out. They say that experience is the best teacher, and the best way to learn from experience is to learn from others who have already found success. For this season of the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast, Michael has lined up a great group of successful people who will share their stories of how they got started and some powerful lessons from their accomplishments. He'll also be introducing you to people who are just starting on their entrepreneurship journey to share what they've learned so far. Success is not just about money, and we'll meet some people who have been successful in very unique ways. Entrepreneurship is an exciting journey, and we're glad to be along for the ride with you. Here's your host, the guy who knows a guy, Michael Whitehouse. Good morning, and welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I am Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows a guy himself, and I'm very excited to be connecting you with Daniel Mangena. He's a speaker and author at dreamwithdan.com. He has multiple businesses. Uh, his one of uh, most of his energy is going into the personal development, but he's got some really interesting things in agriculture, real estate, and we're going to get into that in a bit. But uh, first, let's talk to Dan. So, Dan, how are you doing today? I'm very, very groovily happy to be here with the guy that knows a guy himself. Uh, <laughs> groovily happy, I love groovily that. happy. Yeah, yep. it's it's cool because I, I hear your voice every day with your your daily uh, motivational snips. It's like, oh, yep. yeah, now we've got some interaction with this, the voice that we hear every day. So it's really cool. <laughs> it's like connecting with a celebrity, exactly. Which is usually not how I refer to myself, but it's really <laughs> uh, and so so where are you? Where are we? Where are you located? I actually live in Cabo in Mexico, but I'm from East London in the UK. But uh, yeah, I moved to Mexico three years ago. Okay. I was going to say, you can't fool me. That's not a Mexican accent. Por qué? <laughs> See, I, I'm very worldly. I can tell a London accent from a Mexican accent. Um, and so what makes you awesome? Do you know what? This is one of those awkward moments. I've got this. There's a clubhouse room that I, that I help moderate every Thursday. And like the first thing he says, everybody has got to say three things that they love about yourself. Celebrate yourself. 
And uh, as a Brit, that's very, 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 very awkward for me to do. <laughs> uh, I like to be a human. Um, I'd say the thing that makes me awesome is, uh, one of the things that makes me awesome is something that was a challenge for so long, and that's my Asperger's, actually. Okay. So I was diagnosed with Asperger's at 27 years old. So I spent my entire life autistic and not knowing it. But um, understanding that about myself actually helped me to translate it into a superpower. Um, I, can I, can, can, I can deal with um, complex information and process it really, really easily. I can learn anything systemized. I can systemize most things that can be learnable. Um, and that's really helped me in business, helped me in life. Uh, not it wasn't so great with relationships until I really got my head around social dynamics and mm-hmm. part coherence, which is a completely other topic over there. But yeah, definitely my Asperger's. Okay, and and now so so I, I was really curious about that because you said systemizing because I I get the sense I don't know if you're, you're familiar with role playing games. There's the idea of min maxing, so you know you put all your points into one set of skills mm-hmm. and take them out of another set of skills. And I've always had the sense that that autism is kind of min maxing that like you have super high ability in systemization <laughs> and structures and super low in that instinctive. Yeah, um, you know, like I can look at someone, I can see their, uh, I can see their facial expression and know how mm-hmm. they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, but at the same time, you can learn by rote. Be like, okay, if their mm-hmm. face is doing this, it means that. Or yeah. generally, humans respond to this in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as I point out, to someone you know in chat, everyone's autistic. Um, mm-hmm. Because you don't have all those clues. <laughs> um, yeah. I love that one actually. But, yeah. but you don't. But you, most of us don't know it, so we assume we have the clues. We fill exactly. in the gaps. Exactly. Um, so, are you able to to systematize like the human interactions? Well, there is already systems around that. You've got transactional analysis. Um, mm-hmm. Doctor Doctor Eric Byrne, his work saved my life um, because we all do operate in systems. It's just mm-hmm. those systems are learned and they run unconsciously, whereas I consciously go through those steps. That you, uh, okay. that you run on unconsciously. Um, that's really just what it what it is. So I move through them at a pace, step by step, and I'm conscious of the process I'm going through, whereas you'll just run through it unconsciously. Okay. So, but which, yeah, really sounds like what you're saying, turn into a superpower. Yeah. Because if you can figure out how to manually systematize what you don't have, but you mm-hmm. still have mm-hmm. the, the, the maximized portions of it, yeah. then you could, you know, communicate, with people in the same way, plus yeah. be able to systematize anything, which is something I certainly can't do. <laughs> <laughs> it just becomes a, a very conscious process, so it can be quite energy draining. Mm-hmm. It's just encouraged me to be a lot more mindful and discerning, and um, I don't just let anybody into my space, long story okay, short, yep. because anyone that is in my space, there's going to be a lot of energy going into holding and maintaining the space I have with them. Same like with the coaching. I never coach more than five people at a time. I don't coach anyone that hasn't been in one of my programs so I can see what the energy exchange is with them. Mm-hmm. I don't stay in situations where I'm not filled up by the exchange. If I feel too drained by it, then I, I leave it. Um, I've got a small circle of friends, a big family, but um, you know that's all love anyway. They just sort of leave me to be autistic and don't really care if I put my foot in my mouth. But, okay, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's t- tended to be how I've um, lived my life consciously now for the last 10 years. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so so usually my, my next question at this point is kind of how did you get started, which mm-hmm. we we're kind of already talking about, mm-hmm. um, because I talk to a lot of people and I'm, and I'm so glad this conversation is going this way because I talk to so many people who they, they have I mean, at, at the extreme end, they have a problem for every solution, mm-hmm. uh, as we say. <laughs> but but they've always got some reason why they can't be successful. And mm-hmm. it could be they don't have the connections. They don't have the education. They don't have the money. They don't have the background. 
but it can also be some kind of disability, whether mm -hmm. it's a physical disability or uh, autism spectrum or mm -hmm. ADHD or mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I think to some degree, it's simply a limiting belief of mm -hmm. they believe they can't do it and thus justify why they can't do it with, oh, well, I can't do it. I was born poor. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't do it. I'm autistic. I mm -hmm. can't do it. I, I have chronic back pain, you yeah. know, whatever it is. And then now you've let yourself off the hook and mm -hmm. sure enough, Guess yeah, I can't do it. Well, I try. I can't do it. Like I can't fly. So I'm not going to try to fly. Um, I'm never going to try even once. I know I can't. I'll hurt exactly. myself and I'll never fly. Um, so, you know, I, I can't start a business, so I'm never going to try. And sure mm -hmm. enough, they don't. sure enough, you don't. But, but so, so I, so I imagine that you had, had difficulty early on and, and that you probably, I'm, I'm assuming you did not have people early on being like, you know what, you've actually got a superpower. So, you know, go crush it. Well, the, the crazy thing was, is that literally nobody in my life guessed anything about anything. So, <laughs> Even worse. So like, I just was like the awkward kid. I didn't really have many friends and I was just always, always embarrassing myself. Dating was an absolute, like, oh, it was roadkill. That was, <laughs> that was roadkill. My dating life basically up until, um, so I was in a relationship at the time of my diagnosis and she basically loved me and that's why she kind of put up with all my, all my uh -huh. stuff. So I just loved me. That's why she put up with myself. But before then it was like a series of short things of girl that might find me cute and I'd not mess up completely with the whole <laughs> initial stages. And then they'd be like, ah, and then it would kind of just sort of fizzle out and not really go anywhere after like a mm -hmm. month or two. And it was just that cycles of that. And then intermittent with women that kind of liked me enough to keep me around a bit longer. And then it kind of just ended up going somewhere off <laughs> anyway. Um, uh -huh. That's just basically what it was. But then after I was diagnosed, it's like everybody was like, hey, um, I hope you're not offended by me asking this, but are you on the spectrum? Like, Where were you? <laughs> I was a teenager. <laughs> Where were you? And you know what the funny thing was? Then talk about law of attraction. Like three women I dated on the trot. I found out after the fact, God's honest truth, that they were involved with the world of neurodiversity in some way. One uh -huh. was like a head teacher in a school that worked with autistic kids. Um, one was like her job was helping families that had severely autistic teenagers. She specialized in being an in-house helper for that. But I'd find this out after we'd like meet and connect and sort of get into it and then find out that, oh, so you actually, so I actually ended up getting these angels that really helped me. And this was like, not too deep into my time uh, of actually having this challenge sort of brought up and, and revealed to me. So I had these angels that helped me transition into being a neurodiverse man living in a neurotypical world. So that was really mm -hmm. a, a blessing. But before then, nobody knew anything at all. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The fact that people were were pointing it out to you after you had the <laughs> had the diagnosis, which yeah. is yeah, funny. Yeah, I, 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 somewhat, somewhat, not not to the same level, but you know, I've I've ADHD, mm -hmm. which in the eighties nobody knew what it was. Nineties yeah. were start, starting to hear about it, and I got diagnosed in college. Mm -hmm. um, before that, just like, why can't you remember things? <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, if one more person told me about my potential. <laughs> so much, and, and you know, potential was was potential should be a great thing. Like you have so much potential. Oh yeah, potential. But it was always this punitive uh. kind of. You have so much potential. Why aren't you living up to it? <laughs> and you owe you owe the world putting work into this report because you have potential and you can't waste it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're being ungrateful to God for giving you potential. And I'm like, can I give it back? Because <laughs> I'm not seeing the upside. Hey, of this. hey big guy, can we do a swap? See. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll take the flag. I'll take, take the, the potential <laughs> and and whatever else. And then I finally found out like I have ADHD. I'm like, oh, that makes well, now sense. I get it. Yeah. Um, and now you know I'm I'm not medicated or anything. I just know I have it. Mm-hmm. And so I set up structured systems exactly, exactly. to the limited ability my ADHD allows me to. Like my calendar is fully structured. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, hey, yeah, give me a call sometime tomorrow between one and six. I'm like, nope. that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Because there's no just give people a call time. On <laughs> there's there's like podcasts. There's make websites. There's write things. But it's all yeah. it's structured. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so you, know, you have a, a substantial business at this point with a number of different different things go on going mm-hmm. on. Um, how did you get started? What, what was the first of your businesses that you got going? How did you get started with that? Can I tell you something? I've only ever had two jobs in my life. Okay. I've never done the corporate world. Good. I worked in a cinema <laughs> when I was 15. I worked in a cinema. Uh, by that time, I'd already had a major business. I taught myself to make computers when I was 13. Okay. So I was making and selling computers at the time. Um, I had a tuck shop at my high school as well. So I, I, I had money for pocket money and stuff like that. So... I, I didn't need the job at the cinema, but I really enjoyed movies. I loved movies and I got to watch movies as much as I wanted. And I made two, my two best friends have been my best friends since then, Nathan and Jamie. We've been friends for uh-huh. 20 years. Um, and it was just interesting to learn more about people and to be in this social setting where people kind of have to be around you because you work together. So it's like, yep. oh, they're forced to put up with me so I can learn about this human stuff. Um, <laughs> and then uh, when I um, when I was making my way back from losing my multi-million pound fortune the second time, um, I got a job in a call center. I was there for six months while I was building up my last my last main business, which was the first consulting the consulting business I'd had from like 2011, 2012. I worked there for like six months. And that's it. I've, other than that, I did work experience. Like you have to do that at high school. You have to go do work experience over a okay. summer for a couple of weeks or whatever. But other than that, I've, I've not had a job. So I've always, always been an entrepreneur. Okay. And so what was the first bit? So you said your first business computers. Uh, I think my first business actually was a breakfast in bed. I employed my sister to help me and my parents and any guests in the house. We would prepare breakfast for them and bring it to them, go and get my dad's newspaper. Then I quickly migrated. And when my family's from Zimbabwe. They emigrated from Zimbabwe uh, in the 70s to the UK. Okay. So we'd go back every year. And I'd always go to like the little bric-a-brac stores in the flea market and look for little things I could buy and take back to England and sell. Ah, so yep. I did that as well. So I was in port. Um, what else did I do? Yeah, computers, 13. Um, then I would say the next thing was the, I did a training company. We did import and export when I was 19, that was where I made my first million doing real estate and stuff like that. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. how we set up the business was technically illegal accidentally oh. because, <laughs> yeah, um, because we, we had investors put the money up, but that's illegal to take investment from people if you're not licensed. So we ended up losing that business. Um, I went up and set up another business um, that was in consulting and project funding, made a few more million from that. Um, I tried to be clever that time and put everything in other people's names and they stole everything and ran away with it. So <laughs> that was that was, that was an interesting lesson to learn. Um, and then uh, built up another consulting business, like I said, um, when I was working at the call center, built that up to multiple seven figures. And I walked away from that, I walked away from business completely in 2018 to move into what I do with the personal development. But I've moved back into entrepreneurship over the last, I'd say two years. I was kind mm-hmm. of a... I think I was from February till October 2018. I was just only focused on going through my savings, running around the world, trying to save it, teaching my work, 
And then mm-hmm. a friend of mine who's now dear, dear friend and a mentor, Barry, was like, you know, if you had more money, you could probably help more people. I'm like, oh, yeah, that really tracks and makes sense. So I got back into the entrepreneurial saddle. So I'm actually selling my services around the personal development, built that up to six figures in four and a half months. Um, and then um, over that year, started tre- creeping back into the consulting, moving into real estate and expanding into other things. Okay. Um, now, so so you you three times have casually thrown around large numbers, of, large uh, amounts of money. Um, you're like, yeah, hey, I made my first million. I lost that. <laughs> made a few more million. I lost that. Um, so how did you how did you just make your first million? Um, so again, for someone who's who's starting from from not having much, mm-hmm. who wants to make their first million, mm-hmm. what what are what were the things that you did that that they might uh, follow? Well, make sure you know your local laws because obviously okay. that's how they really work out for me. Yeah, really that, that's out. how you don't lose your first That's million. how you don't lose. Um, no, <laughs> but OPM, other people's money, other people's resources. Okay. Even the money that we make now really is we leverage credit is like the, 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 the killer. One of the reasons why a lot of my businesses are based in the US is because US banks throw money around. <laughs> so um, my agricultural business a lot of the earlier purchases that we made was literally raising credit in the US, trade through a US company, and then hold the offshore assets. Um, it's just easy, easy peasy. Um, you can partner up with people, joint venture, and other people's resources as well. It doesn't just mean money. You could, like with you, joint ventures. Yep. You know, the art of being a good business is being a good middleman. You know, my consulting company does multiple six figures, but most of the deliverables are handled by other people so i create solutions around problems that other people are actually going to do the solving on so i spend literally a couple of hours a week working on that business and it does very very well so leveraging other people's resources leveraging um other people's money especially the institutional money if you can Mm -hmm. get access to that um and then just solving the problem finding a problem that you can solve so when i was building up um the the consulting company that i had last um Corner four, when we started building up corner four, I found one problem, which was people that want to import goods to the UK that don't have enough money to do it. One solution was trade finance. And I had um, the same trade finance company that supported me making my first my first bit of money. Mm-hmm. They were still in operation. So I reached out and I said, hey, Sonny, um, you know, I'm getting back in the saddle. I don't have any of my own projects, but I've got people that have got projects. If I bring you business, will you give me commission? And he said, yes. And so I was working in the call center from one o'clock in the afternoon till eight o'clock at night. And I was getting up in the morning and I was drumming up business for people who needed to do import and needed the trade finance. I'd refer them to Sunny. And then within that six months, I was making enough to cover my minimum wage job. We weren't making big deals. You know, I was building a relationship. So I was building yeah, you know, yeah. a book of clients. Maybe you make $50 here, a hundred there, 200, a thousand there. And it built up until we had a big book of clients who trusted us now to do bigger deals. They'll say, hey, you know, I need a million pounds. I need a million euros. I need a million dollars. Okay. Then you're making 10,000 on a deal instead of making, you know, 100. And then from there, you ask them, hey, have you got any other solutions, any problems in your business that are going on that could also do with some financing? Okay, this and this and this. Then you build up a network, you build up relationships, and you find people that have got other solutions. And then you, oh, I might be able to find people that have got a problem that can match that solution. And that's how the business built out. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. And, and so, so your, your first business, how did you get started? Cause it, it, it sounds like you just kind of, you said other people's money. Um, yeah. but how did you get them to give you their money? 
Well, the, the first business that we did was, uh, do you know when you buy stuff from catalogs? Um, yeah. Yeah. When they do returns, basically, they can't sell them back. So they basically end up putting them in big pallets and selling them off in bulk. It's one of the okay. reasons why purchases from catalogs are more expensive because you're paying for the returns. So what happened is, is that there was a company in the UK, um, we're going back to 2000 and God, 2001, 2002, 2001, mm-hmm. 2002, 20 years ago, um, called Gem Discounts. I think they changed the name to Gem Wholesale. I don't know if they're still in business. But what would happen is you basically blindly buy a pallet of goods. So you'd spend like a thousand pounds buying this pallet of goods. You don't know what's in there, but you're betting that there's going to be enough for you to make a profit on your thousand. Okay. okay? Yep. So there could be a PlayStation 2 in there. There could be some irons. There could be some secondhand clothes. So what we do is we buy the pallets, the electrics we'd sell on eBay and what have you, we'd sell them like to people, or mm. the loot newspaper. The clothes, we put them up into barrels and sell them off to secondhand goods um, users. And you would always, always, always make a good profit. On average, you were looking at two, three times your money on a pallet. Okay. You just put some work into it, though. You had to yeah, part, yeah, parcel yeah, out and sell yeah, them individually. Parcel, but, yeah. Yeah. but you can pay people to do that. You know, I partnered right, up right. with guys. The guys I partnered up with would do a lot of the selling. Um, so people put the money up for us to buy the pallets. And then we basically give them a return from the pallets. So, oh, okay. so we basically split the profit with them. Um, on average, they could make 50% back on their money on a month-to-month period. Wow, okay. Um, then we found uh, another company that did auctioned cars. So you'd give them the remit of the cars that you wanted, and they'd literally go to auctions for you and find within. So you'd have to give them like two or three options for colors, two or three options for engine size. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is we charge £200 for a search. So people would pay £200 deposit for us to, to search. And then if we secured the vehicle for them, then um, then we get a commission on, on the vehicle. We'll get in the cars on average for 25 to even 50% off. And we put okay. a little markup on it. But we do hundreds and hundreds of these searches a week. So we had great, great income on the searches. But then when we needed to buy the cars, nobody's going to give you money for a car that hasn't been bought yet. So we used... Yep. People give us the money, we'd have the pot for us to buy the cars and then make the exchange with people. And if they didn't buy the car, then we just put it out on the open market and sell the car that way. So okay. again, we give people a, a, a return back on that. But again, you, you have to have a license for that. So make sure make sure that you yes, know your local yes. laws. But yeah, it, it expanded from there. Then we found um, Sunny, who did the trade finance. We then started buying big pallets of goods. I remember we we're doing orange juice, cocoa beans, uh, we found a supplier that did mobile phones. Uh, we get, you know, but the really cool thing with trade finance is this. If I've got, I'll use a round number. If I've got a hundred thousand pounds or euros or whatever, a hundred thousand letter of credit, that allows me to control the purchase of a hundred thousand in stock, but I'm only going to be paying between three and 5% for that letter of credit. So I can control a hundred thousand for the sake of 5,000. So as long as I'm making at least a 10% margin on that 100,000, I've doubled my money. Oh, okay. So that was the model for how we we built out the business. We'd find anything that we could get anywhere that was at least a 10% margin that there was a liquid market for. We'd lease a letter of credit for between three and a half and and 5%, three and 5%. We'd control the letter of credit, get the goods, get them to a point of, 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 of delivery sell them, make our margin, and we've doubled our money. Wow. And, and so how did you learn about that? I 
got introduced to Sonny because someone needed wanted me to lend them the money to get a letter of credit from him. That's what they wanted. They came and said, hey, I've got this deal. I think we're doing something with, I think it was Rice. Don't quote me on that. You know, mm-hmm. it's a good few years ago. And I was like, I need to meet these people that you want to borrow my money to, to go and do something uh-huh. with. And I was like, this is really interesting. And then someone came up and said, hey, we've got these goods. I was like, oh, my God, I can go and get the letter of credit from over here and go and do that and make this money. Uh, and then basically started going to bat with that and doing it on a regular basis. And that's literally how we made you know, millions in a matter of months. Now, and, and I'm just curious, when did you get your diagnosis around? Uh, 27. So 2000 and 2012. So it was before or after you were doing all this with the Oh, well after. Well, so okay. I, after. Yeah. So this was yeah. when I was 19. I was 19 years old when I was doing okay. this. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a couple of things I hear. One is, of course, you know, you're talking about your undiagnosed Asperger's <laughs> autism spectrum. And you then you say we're building relationships. I'm asking people for money. You're doing all these things. <laughs> um, but but I imagine it's probably fair that you could, you could show them the math with great confidence. Yeah. Yeah. This um, is like, hey. Here's yep. the agreement. Here's my track record. We've been making money for these people for a while. Yep. You want in well, on and it? Well, and also, I, I, the other thing I imagine again, I'm I'm sort of talking out of school here, as we say here. But I, I imagine, to some degree, if you knew the math, you knew it worked. You could mm-hmm. talk to them with 100 percent confidence. And the other thing was, I wasn't actually the one that was going out and getting the money either. That's what my partners did. Oh, okay. Well, that, that yeah. too. Yeah. So I didn't. I think maybe one or two people I ever spoke to, but I was kind of in my little. <laughs> My little laboratory cooking up. They're like, here, Dan, figure out some math. And you're like, math, 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 math. math." (laughs) And that was it. Made everyone some money. Oh, it's even better. Yeah, because you really found where that that strength strength lay. And then then the other thing I hear is, um, because I I think my my initial reaction to someone saying, hey, could I borrow money to go borrow it for this, which we're going to leverage for that. And Mm -hmm. my gut reaction, having the, I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki's poor poor mindset, rich mindset, Mm -hmm. um, still have a bit of the poor mindset residually. My poor brain is like, whoa, 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 hold on. That sounds yeah. a little bit shit. Because it's, yes, I know rich people make their money that way. Mm-hmm. But do I have access to that? Do we have? And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, they pass over these opportunities. They're like, ah, it doesn't, sounds too good to be true. Sounds yeah. too good. I actually just uh, interviewed someone else today who does something with whole life insurance, mm-hmm. which basically allows you to save and spend money at the same time. Yeah, we, we do you, that. We do yep. that with our micro minutes program. We've got a guy that does that for our for our people. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, you put it in there it, and you borrow against the cash value, but the cash value keeps accumulating. Mm-hmm. But the loan, which never has to be repaid, can then go to pay off your other debts. Exactly. And so when you hear that, you're like, "Well, that sounds like a scam." If I ever heard one, <laughs> but it's totally legitimate so and it how makes, it actually and works. Makes perfect sense. And I think so many people they just they say, "No, nah, it doesn't sound right." I'm out. Yeah, and then they stay at their minimum wage call center job, or yeah. McDonald's, or that's, that's the way it goes, or whatever. So yeah, you know, I think just being the fact that you were open to those. those and so so, where do you think you learned to be open to those things, or did you just never learn not to be? I think that's what it was. I mean, when I look at you know how everything went wrong for me with that, I hadn't been tested by life. I uh-huh. hadn't, you know, all I'd seen was really wins. Really, um, okay. There'd been some bumps in the road, but those bumps in the road hadn't really hit me in the face as being, oh, this is a reason to stop. It was like, okay, this is a reason to come up with a different solution. And then you keep going. Yep. <laughs> um, but then that meant that I was, you know, I didn't seek counsel. One of the reasons why I invest so much in my personal development now, it's $172,000 last year I spent on my personal development. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, I, I've got mentors up the wazoo for literally every little tiny weenie beanie part of my life and 
because I now understand how imperative it is not to try and do things on my own. Uh huh. Because had I had mentorship, I would have known. Hey, you need to like if my paperwork had said loan instead of investment, government would have been able to take the money from me. But because it said investment and not loan, boom. Now had I been seeking counsel, for example, a lawyer before going off and doing all of this fancy stuff as a 19 year old who should have just been getting drunk and having sex <laughs> with girls right um then I, I i would have i wouldn't have lost out but then i wouldn't have learned the lessons that came off the back of it the work that i do now right. with beyond intention and, and micro to millions and, and personal development and sharing things with the world happened because of me having to rebuild my life off the back of those big losses right you know i am a much nicer person i was a bit of an arrogant egotistical toe rag at the time <laughs> right <laughs> which you know I, I i i think it'd be really interesting i don't have contact with many people from that period of my life now you know we've had you know full turnover of, of people that are around not including family but it'd be interesting for them to to meet the person that i am today having gone through my cocoon and rebirth on the back of all of those experiences to be reborn as a, a you know, a humble butterfly. But, mm -hmm. you know, those experiences made me the better person that I am today. So I, I do actually have the space to be grateful for it. But definitely now, you know, a big part of what I do, asking for help, asking for support, checking things over, making sure that everything makes sense and everything's, you know, legit and kosher. But um, I just didn't know to question the viability of it. Because I was like, oh, that makes sense on paper. Okay, let's go for it. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah, how, you know, I things got done. lost the second time. You know, oh, that person looks good on paper. Yeah, but you can't deal with paper based on paper. People are beyond the paper. Um, yeah. But again, these were lessons that were learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, especially when you're kind of learning learning algorithmically. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it also sounds that may have helped you. Yeah. Is you didn't have those instincts to scare you. No, I didn't have them. Um, you're just like, this seems to work. Everything seems to fit. Let's go. Yeah. As, whereas other people might look at that and be like, well, I don't, what, what could happen? What about mm -hmm. this? What about that? Mm -hmm. um, what about now is um, I, I seem to recall one of the, the autism symptoms kind of inability, inability to visualize. No, I, I don't have that. I'm very strong okay. in visualization. Very, very strong. Or not as much, but like speculatively, what could go wrong? What could go right? So for me, it's a mathematical equation. So I look, what's the worst that can happen? What's the best that can happen? Okay, what's yep, the most yep. likely to happen? Probability. Probably. I got that from one of my mentors. So I do that on everything now. And then mm -hmm. I make sure if I'm not resourced to deal with all three of those potential possibilities, and I, I don't, I stay out of it. Yeah. Not from fear, but I'm not going to be, I'm not resourced to deal with this. So right, am I resourced? Yeah. Can I yeah. bring in the resources? Yes, no. Yeah. We're talking uh, about I financially. Can I handle the loss, the potential loss here? Can I make it up? This could be a hundred grand loss, or it could be a million dollar win. Um, most likely it's going to flirt somewhere between the two. Can I take a hundred K loss at this point in time? Well, can I put it on credit and then make that payments on that over time in the worst case scenario and just absorb mm -hmm. that into my cash flow? Maybe I do those numbers now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's something a lot of people need to learn. It's something I, I don't know. I, I kind of stumbled across that myself. I'm, um, I was always surrounded by, by geeks and gamers and D&D players. <laughs> I remember and you like, were in the game, you worked in the game shop, didn't yeah. you? 
Yeah. yeah so that, that's kind of the early part of my business education was mm-hmm. being surrounded by geeks. And so I was looked at that, you know, best case, worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Okay. Worst case scenario, what happens? Mm-hmm. Um, best case scenario, what happens? Can I accept the worst? If so, mm-hmm. go. go for if it. not, no. <laughs> I, I think some people don't actually dive into what's the worst case scenario. They're like, well, it could fail. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, but that would be a disaster. How, like, like California <laughs> falling into the sea disaster or like <laughs> I have some debt and my credit's bad disaster yeah. or like I'm embarrassed disaster because mm-hmm. there's different levels. Of, and and I think so we don't like to look at bad things. Mm-hmm. We don't like to really dive in. And when you actually dive in and drill down and say, okay, well, how bad is it really? Mm-hmm. How bad can it really get? And especially with your first business. Mm-hmm. That was my first business. Like that, that was like, that was like raising a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of, of a walk away point on that business, I'm like, I can't walk away. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, child. Walked away. yeah I, I should have pivoted out of that two years earlier. And if I pivoted out two years earlier, it would have still probably become that nonprofit volunteer run collective. It became, mm-hmm. I would have just stopped pouring money into it yeah. and like started getting a job and paying down my debts before they went into collections. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I didn't, although I thought I had, I thought I'd, I'd examine the worst case scenario, but then I ended up in this like, limbo in between it wasn't a full failure it wasn't not but but yeah i think that's you know but you know a lot of people can can learn from that example of of examining that worst case um so so now so your your personal development business that that's that's your main business now you said that's the main place where i spend most of my time yes um dreamydan.com um it's really taking the lessons of that whole journey um i created a four-step model called beyond intention around that those four steps about understanding our relationship to conscious choice. Mm. And then we apply that primarily around financial abundance. That's where I really work. So I've got a signature program called Micro to Millions. And Micro to Millions is a, it's a roadmap to go. Let me ask you this question. So this is a question I always ask. Ready for the, the, the pitchy question? All right, yeah. If go. I gave you half a million dollars, right? So I got half a million dollars. I wave a magic wand. You've got no trauma around money, no stickiness around having a million dollars. All your limiting beliefs, your, your poor mind is gone. You've only got a rich mind. You can visualize mentally, you've got certainty that you can have a million. And I gave you an exact roadmap on how to turn half a million into a million. Could you do it? Yes. Okay. So if I gave you $100, same thing, and told you to get to $200, could you do it? Hmm. So you've got no limiting beliefs, exact roadmap, $100 in your hand. Oh, with a roadmap? Yeah. Yeah, yeah with a roadmap. roadmap. <laughs> if I gave it to you and told you how to do it, could you do it? Oh, well, yeah. That's yeah, all the recipe. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. so if you take $100, here's the maths. You take $100 and double it 14 times, it takes you to 1.6 million. Oh, look at that. Yeah. With a rounding down, when you get from 12,800, you just round that down to 25 when you double it and keep yeah, doubling yeah. from there. 1.6 million. Okay. So what we do is we take people through that process, but we start them at zero. We teach them how to get from zero to 100. And then we teach them to double 14 times at every step, teaching them the different mindset, um, the different emotional relationship and energetic and frequency relationship to money that they need at each step and give them strategies at each step based on how they have a flow with money. We call it money DNA. And that's okay. what we do. Wow. That sounds like a really powerful program. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, we, yeah. we have a lot of fun with it. Uh, one of the most interesting things we've that we found with that is that most people get into the program and realize they're not actually interested in being millionaire. So they end up getting to a point where they're happy. You know, mm-hmm. some people it's higher, some people it's lower. We have people that have gone past a million, um, some people that stopped at the million. 
Uh, one guy stopped at two and a half, I think he stopped at. Um, we've got one guy, his business has been doing six figures a month for the last two and a half years, um, being in the program. Got one guy that wants to get to 10 mil. Um, some people, like I said, they stopped at 20 or they paid off their debts. Hey, I'm happy now. I kind of like my job. I don't have any debt. Um, without the debt, I can sort of start chipping away at the mortgage. Some people want to get the second home. But yeah, people start to develop this really conscious relationship to money, which is really cool. And as you say, you start from zero to 100. Yeah, you start from zero to 100. So the cool thing is, is that once you, whichever level you come in at, whether it's the basic, the sort of middle of the road, or you come in at a higher end, you mm -hmm. start at zero. You do not put another penny in. Okay. So, wait, so what do you mean by start at zero? So whichever level you come in at, we tell you open up a separate account, mm -hmm. make this your micro to millions account. That account starts with zero and then you follow our guidance to get gotcha, that account right. from zero to 100. And then we focus on getting from 100 to 200. The trick is you don't actually look anywhere beyond the step that you're in. It's right. like 14 little journeys that you go on. So you just focus and, on that journey that you're on. And so I assume if you're starting with people who are going from zero to 100, that mm -hmm. your, your rates are commensurately low. What do you this mean? Is not a, this is not a $10,000 program to get from zero to $100. No, no, no. So what happens is, is that if someone's going, coming into the program, for example, at the entry level, yep. we give them the roadmap up to step seven, I think it is. So we get them up to our five-figure club. If they do the signature middle of the road program, you get the complete roadmap all the way up to 1.6 million, but you can stop whenever you want, but you start with zero. And the first step in the, in the journey is getting from zero to 100. Okay. The people that take the high level, it's called the accelerator program. It's people that want to get to a certain point in a faster period of time. So we get them to six figures within six months. Okay. Mm. But, but this is something where, where someone had, had, you know, didn't have two pennies to scrape together. You have something you can get them started. Oh yeah. That's my money game. You can go and get my money game. I think we've got that up for a dollar now or something somewhere. Um, okay. And that teaches you how to make money come out of thin air. The record on that at the moment is $75,000 in two days. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm cool. definitely going to check this out. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea too, because I, so, you know, I'm, I'm in the coaching space and, um, and I have this, this array of skills, as mm -hmm. you know, I do the pod, the other podcast and, mm -hmm. um, and I have all this value I can provide sort of nebulously in a non bundled form. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I'm pretty sure that if I could focus on the higher ticket audience, mm -hmm. um, I have something for them, but my calling mm -hmm is the lower ticket audience. My calling mm. is that person. And maybe it's cause I, you know, grew up with all these people and they've been, you know, my friends for 20 years, but it's those people who have given up on mm -hmm. the American dream and mm -hmm. don't believe it exists. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe I'm just being stubborn. I don't know, but, but to be like, it's still here. Yeah. I can show you <laughs> even just basic things like stop working at McDonald's for 12 bucks an hour. You can Uber for 29. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you you can have a and you know while you're Ubering, you can be listening to podcasts and audio mm -hmm. books and and mm -hmm. learning and meeting people and making connections and mm -hmm. and like I it, of course there's a labor shortage right now because people are finally figuring it out mm -hmm. that they can do better, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is you know a whole whole different thing. I think COVID gave them time and space to actually think for once. Yeah, um, and they're like, wait a minute, well I don't need to go back <laughs> there. I can make seventy bucks now over here. Exactly. Um, but, but so, you know, I, I really, am, I'm trying to find these ways to get people up from zero mm -hmm. to get them, you know, get them moving. I'm like, oh, wow, look, you're doing it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but to kind of give them those first steps, even if it is, you know, drive Uber instead of working McDonald's mm -hmm. um, or, you know, drive, you don't like people drive DoorDash. Mm -hmm. um, you don't like that. You can do Instacart. You know, there's all kinds of different things you can do 
to make more and to get from that, you know, to get that, that ramp up. Cause there's so few resources for someone who has nothing. Yeah. There's plenty you want to get from, from five figures to seven figures. Here you go. Take your pick. They're, yeah. they're, they're all, they're, they're lined up down the street, but zero figures to five figures. There's very few resources for that. And the thing is, is that, you know, so we, we take people through what we call the three, the three stages of relationship with money, right? So stage one, you're going to be exchanging time and energy with money, mm-hmm. right? So we call that being in the working class. Then we get into middle-class relationship with money. There's going to be a bit of a mix. You can hire some resources in, you can pay for a couple of bits there, but you're still going to be a, little, a bit hands-on with it. Mm-hmm. And then when we get into um, to the third level, it's you're basically just managing portfolios rather than spending time. Your money's working for you and doing things. But whether people went through that process in childhood because they went through the stages of learning. We all go through those stages of learning. What I've seen time and time again is people just want to jump to, I want to just win the lottery. I want this. I've got my check for a million dollars on the wall from the secret book. I want to jump there. Whereas when you have this conscious unlearning and relearning and development through this relationship, it tends to be more sustainable. Mm. You know, when I look at the real reason why I lost everything, you know, a couple of times so young is because I didn't have the behaviors and habits of owning money okay. because someone that had habits and behaviors would know, make sure that your lawyer and your accountant checks everything. How do I know that? Because now that I'm around people that do have those habits and behaviors, these are some of the first things that they, they tell you. Yep. I also didn't have, you know, whatever somebody's relationship is with the energetics, you know, as a concept, I didn't have an energetic relationship to money that was able to hold a container of that size. So it was able to come in, but it left. If you want to see more evidence of that, Lottery winners, 90% of them go back to exactly where they were right. within five years. Mm-hmm. Whether it's lottery or any other windfall, people always end up coming back home. Your emotional state that you're trained in being in starts to have an impact on your unconscious thoughts. Your unconscious yep. thoughts, which are operating at 10,000 to 10 million times the speed of the conscious mind, will have an impact on your unconscious behaviors, which will lead to your reality experience. So when you don't have that energetic, that emotional experience to hold that level of wealth, it's going to leap backwards and you're going to end up basically self-sabotaging and messing up and so we take people through a journey of actually just stretching that relationship mentally emotionally and experientially in terms of actions and habits and behaviors over time so that whatever level of wealth that they do end up getting to ends up being sustainable and staying oh wow okay yeah that sounds really yeah as, as my mother used to say if you take a poor person and give them a lot of money. You don't have a rich person. You have a poor person, poor person with a lot with of money. A lot of money, not for very yeah. long either. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> I saw a, uh, one of those, those funny saying things that says, "A fool and his money are a really great date." <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but not That's a good, uh, not a good financial plan. No. Um, yeah, but I, I love this concept and you know really working through because that's the whole thing. It's those limiting beliefs. It's the. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I see that a lot. I, I, lately, it's been hating on billionaires. That's that's the, yeah. the current thing. But there's always something. Yeah. And you know, them going to space and be like, it's disgusting. They have all this money, and mm-hmm. and and I hear people saying, you know, you can only get that much money by stealing it. Yeah. You know, it's not stealing. You know, it's, you're stealing their labor, and you're stealing. Yeah. Um, you're 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 cheating people. Yeah. Um, and, or you or you inherited it. Pe- yep. Rich people only got rich by inheriting it or stepping on the backs of the working class. Yeah. Some of them, yeah, but not all of them. Yep. Well, yeah, that's it. I think so many of them, you know, Jeff Bezos created something. He created Amazon. And, yeah. and you know, you know it, it, 
you know, people take a break from ordering stuff on Amazon to complain about Amazon is, yeah. is that. But like you can see the value. Mm-hmm. Um, he created value from nothing. Money is simply a store of value. Mm-hmm. Now, now, are there some issues with how he treats his employees at some of his facilities 100%. and whatnot? Well, yes, there are. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, he created something. Mm-hmm. He gave people jobs they were willing to accept. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not like kidnapping people off the street and, and force them at gunpoint to work in the warehouses. Yeah. He puts out a job offer and people accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he just happened to create an entirely new section of the economy, which makes you a billionaire. But But when you have this mindset of, People with a lot of money stole it. Yeah. And then the opportunity to make a lot of money. And then you're yeah. like, well, I don't steal. So I'm, and I, I worked with someone for a very brief time um, <laughs> as, as a prospective client who, who did not believe in having employees. He's okay. trying to build a, a, a home services company without having employees. So everyone who worked for him is going to be a partner, mm-hmm. a part owner. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was still carrying all the risk as if he was the owner. Mm-hmm. He was paying them wages, but they all got part of the upside. So they, they carried no part of the downside. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they were having some trouble, um, which, you know, business is up and down. And he's like, I'm like, all your workers are, are fellow owners, which means they should all suffer with you. And you just tell them, hey, guys, we're about to have a bad month. Fortunately, you're all owners. So mm-hmm. none of us there are getting go. paid in full. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I was mm-hmm. like, now you see why you have employees yeah. because you're carrying, the, they eat first, you eat last. Mm-hmm. Like you're not stealing from them in the good times. Mm-hmm. You're taking the risks. So they're balanced out. They get mm-hmm. 16 bucks an hour day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Some months you make $50,000 and some months you put in $20,000. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's why business. you're the owner. <laughs> it's not theft. It's a different model. And that's why some people don't want to own businesses. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't realize that, then then you pass up the opportunity. Because, you know, he's giving out a surplus mm-hmm. and not retaining it. And the business may well collapse at some point in yes. that model. It's going to collapse. So yeah. It's kind of <laughs> Eventually his wife's going to be like, dude, get a job. Like, yeah. It, well, he has got a job. He's got a job making jobs for other people. Right. It's good. And the, but the thing with, with, the, with, the, with the billionaire bashing, you know, just part and parcel that makes no sense to me is I think people believe that Jeff Bezos has literally got a bank account with $200 billion in it. He doesn't. Right. Yes. His yes. wealth is stored in the shares of Amazon. And guess what that's propping up? Your 401k. Uh-huh. He's, he's making money for you. You're... The the, 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 the the money that's getting flowing into US dollars to be traded with Amazon is propping up the US dollar. If that got pulled out of the US economy, it would end up collapsing the dollar. Uh-huh. Richard Branson, you're complaining about him going in a spaceship. Richard Branson is not sitting with billions of dollars in the bank account. He's quoted as saying, he, one of my mentors is friends with him. And he remembers a conversation with, with Richard who said, I'm always trying to do too much and not got enough money. Right, uh, he barely just kept Virgin Galact- uh, Virgin Atlantic afloat last year by having to do this whole little dance with selling shares in Virgin Galactic and all this other thing. And at the end of the day, this industry now that's being created around space is going to push human innovation, yep. push humanity forward, yep. create new jobs, new industries, new technologies. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking on the internet right now. This happened because someone had the vision to push telephone. And then we right. had the internet, which had one use. So, oh, you know, why are people trying to talk to people on the other side of the world? They should be feeding homeless people. Let's just say that 
Richie B and Jeff Be- Jeff Beasy sold all their shares in Amazon and, and, and all the Virgin companies right now to feed all the poor people in the world. First mm-hmm. and foremost, that collapse is going to collapse your 401k, collapse your savings, collapse your pension, collapse your insurance fund. So that's all gone. All right. So that's that's gone. It's going to co- cause a downward spiral in the rest of the, 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 the stock market, which is being propped up at the moment by just a few companies. All right. Then the dollar's going to inflate ridiculously anyway because the, the everything's going to be gone to pants. Okay, so you've now got a completely messed up dollar. You've got no stock market. You've got more poor people, more hungry people. Uh-huh. All these people who had jobs, they don't have jobs anymore. So you've got another, I don't know, couple hundred thousand people at least that need to be fed. Okay, they feed them all this year. What happens next year? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. What happens next year? Yeah, you know, that, that's that's definitely the well, and also you know, you're talking about feeding, you know, feeding all the people in the world. Um, like they're feeding a lot of Amazon employees. They're yeah. feeding a lot of, uh, and, and you know, Amazon starts at seventeen dollars. I don't think there's a job in the company under seventeen dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. And again, so, I think it's sad that you know the reports about food stamps and such likes. And I think something should be done about the minimum wage. But mm-hmm. let's not beat up on people who are pushing humanity forward. Let's have a constructive conversation about right, ways right, that they yeah. can improve the way they're going about pushing humanity forward. And one of the things I love about uh, the fact that I'm, you know, at some point I look forward to my business game to the point where I'm not an Uber driver. But mm-hmm. One of the things I love about it is I get to meet people where they are who I'd never have conversations otherwise. I get mm-hmm. to meet everywhere from, you know, executives and owners of radio station chains mm-hmm. all the way down to, you know, people going to work. And some of mm-hmm. the people I take to work work at an Amazon warehouse, mm-hmm. and and you know they're going to be perfectly honest because because why are they going to lie? They're Uber driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ask you, what do you think about working there? Because I hear all these things. And they're like, it's okay, it's a job, it's not bad. Like they don't say, oh my god, I love it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I haven't heard one person say they hate it. And and if they don't like it, it's well, yeah, I work with a couple of jerks, mm-hmm. or I work pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Not like they work me to death, but I, I work pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, you know, yeah, that, you know, they made me work on a, a Saturday once mm-hmm. in Christmas season, but other than that, I pretty much work. Yeah. And one's like, yeah, I can actually work whenever I want to. There's a flex program if I want to do that, but, um, but I make a little more doing this way. So, but none of them have any real complaints mm-hmm. and I've spoken to a whole bunch of that. And so, you know, the, the idea that it's, it's some kind of like sweatshop, mm-hmm. uh, humans working under their robot overlords or something. Um, it, it's, I, Either they're very well trained to lie, which I can't imagine they are, uh, mm-hmm. or they just aren't that unhappy because it's an okay working class job. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's, yeah, there's always some story and they conflate them because it's Walmart who has people on food stamps. Mm-hmm. And then like, well, Walmart's a giant company. Amazon's a giant company. I'm sure Amazon has people on food stamps too. Oh, wow. So it's not even Amazon that's got the food stamps. It's Walmart. Not as far as I know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I know Walmart's got that because they're paying people prevailing minimum wage, which is like nine bucks an hour in some states. Wow. Um, but yeah, Amazon's far. It's possible they may have during their growing their growing period mm-hmm. when they were just like, okay, we don't have a lot of capital. Let's just uh, get people as cheap as you can get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said, you know, that might not be a scalable model. Mm-hmm. Um, or they realized nine dollar an hour workers cost more because you have to train them every three months. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to hire someone else. Thousand dollars to train them. And, yeah. Actually, not saving money, but you know, Amazon is great with great with the math. Yeah. So you know they look and they're like, "What's the cheapest way to do this? It's pay them seventeen dollars an hour and keep them for nine months longer." Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you know that that does something. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying that that yeah, it's 
yeah, he's not a dragon sitting on a pile of money. No. That they have equity and on paper they have money, but, but that, 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 same that value is what the value is greater than the, the world. <laughs> yeah, props up your 401k, your pension fund, yep. your insurance companies, all of the it, things. It lets us have this conversation. It lets, I mean, for all I know, Zencaster on Amazon Web Services probably yeah. is everyone else. Um, <laughs> we are. Yeah. My company uses them. So. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know, it allows us to order stuff. You know, I'm yeah. getting a, my, my $37 joystick so I can play a 30-year-old video game nice. uh, through, through Amazon. Like, we, we have, oh, actually, it's Best Buy. I should be clear on that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we can get stuff from Amazon. We can communicate through Facebook. Like, all these billionaires give us stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these, I mean, one thing happened. we're talking about, like, oil millionaire, oil billionaires mm-hmm. who pull natural resources out of the ground and sell them. Mm-hmm. But most of the billionaires, they created something. But even the ones that are pulling out of the ground, they are still creating jobs. Mm-hmm. The, yep. the person working at the gas pump has a job yep. because of that came out of the ground. The people that truck it have a job. The people that lay down the pipes yep. have a job. The people that are actually wildcatting have a job. Yeah. They're not like, oh, I'm going to take my dragon wings and go and collect my pile <laughs> of black gold from the ground and hoard yeah. it. It goes into the economy. Yes. Um, are yes. there more environmentally friendly ways to create wealth? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. But your car is moving, right? The power station that's giving you electricity probably is on LPFO that came from the oil refining process. This is all helping things go forward. I just think, again, it's having a constructive conversation with people about how things could be improved rather than ignorantly crapping on people who are actually feeding you. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. It's all about that attitude and, mm-hmm. and, and then, not, and then not rejecting, you know, and, and the most, as I said, the most pernicious thing about that is then you start rejecting money yourself. Yeah. Because and then you if you reject it, as, it, how are you going to get it? Yeah. Yeah. You see having money as a sign of, of uh, sin, you know, evil. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, if you have money, you must be evil. More money, mm-hmm. more evil. Well, I'm exactly. not evil. <laughs> Let me show you how not evil I am. <laughs> I have a net worth of negative $49,000. I am super not evil. And then, of course, the other thing that happens is when you're broke like that, you have to make decisions that pinch pennies because you don't mm-hmm. have money. Mm-hmm. So you have to go to Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to buy the cheap Chinese imports yep. that last half as long and end up in a landfill. Yeah. Uh, and you can't afford recyclable things and you can't afford the more fuel efficient car or the electric mm-hmm. car. And so all the good things you supposedly want to do, you can't afford to do. Mm-hmm. And you end up perpetuating the system yourself because you're don't have, because you're rejecting the money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a lot, a lot in that. Um, yeah, so um, I've got your, your website up here on my second screen here, and I'm mesmerized by your background. <laughs> Thank little, you. Little dancing patterns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's dreamwithdan.com, which mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to look more into because I want to double my money. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and, and everyone else should definitely look at that as well. And um, I'm going to talk with you a bit of, you know, a bit after the podcast because I want to see about how we can collaborate and 100%. and get this message out. Because as I said, I've been struggling for months to be like, how do I help the people who are at zero? <laughs> you know, if I had 10,000, you know, I, I went to Strategic Alliance Live and talked about Strategic Alliances. I'm like, yeah, I could put together a $20,000 program by mm-hmm. getting, by building a super group mm-hmm. of, of, you know, someone who's great at email marketing, great at this and great at that. You pay 20,000, I give 2,000 to each of them and mm-hmm. you can move your business 50,000 to 500,000. Mm-hmm. Easy to put that together, mm-hmm. and anyone can. So, mm-hmm. how do you get people to fifty thousand so they can afford the program? Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of really been my 
my passion um, to, to make that happen. So it's been really great to have you on the show. Oh, actually, before I let you go, I want to take a couple minutes. Um, you're talking before we started about what you're doing with, with agricultural land mm-hmm. in Africa. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, there's only so much money that you can spend in one lifetime, really. Yep. For me, creating wealth isn't about what I can spend. I've already lived a pretty groovy life. I've done cool stuff. I live in a beautiful place. It doesn't cost me that much to live in Mexico. Um, but it's what are you leaving? What's the contribution that you're making? How are you mm-hmm. positively adding to the cogs of the world? So I'm looking, I'm always looking for places where the wealth creation is actually creating something, not just hoarding it. And one of the ways we found to do that is with agricultural land across continental Africa. I focus primarily in West Africa only because there's a lot of arable land that's underutilized. Mm-hmm. Even though my family's from Southern Africa and Zimbabwe, um, there's still a bit, still a bit shaky over there. Into, but we're, we're doing stuff there in the near future. But yeah, we 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 find underutilized or unused agricultural land that's arable. We go in, we either lease or purchase the land. We put it to work. We employ people, actually give them jobs. Uh, we invest in schools so that their families can actually have education. And we're reinvesting everything back in locally. Uh, we're now starting to move into other um, other industries as well locally, uh, micro um, factories and stuff like that, um, small scale food production. Again, training, skilling, employing local people, giving them the opportunity to earn a living wage, mm-hmm. um, get education for the kids. Um, eventually, my longer term goal for my world creation is to move into full time philanthropy over the next decade so that then those kids that we've supported with the education, we look at ways that we can provide opportunities for them. Maybe some of them want to be a lawyer. Maybe some of them want to be an astronaut. You know, mm-hmm. how can we start empowering them to live their dreams and support them in doing that so that, you know, in a couple of generations, we don't have this just p- poverty, you know, civil war driven mindset. Um, mm-hmm. We've actually got more of an abundant mindset that's going to push humanity forward. Yeah, it's huge because so, so many charities, they come and they fit, they, they dig a well or they do yeah. one thing. They're like, Not yeah, we dug a well. Whereas you're building an economy. Yeah, that's what we want building. to do. You're I don't believe in handouts. I yeah. don't believe in handouts. Handouts don't help anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 like we're talking about the, with, the, with the billionaires. Yeah, they feed them this year, but then people are, number one, trained to wait for a handout and not to create anything. Right. Look at communism. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yep, yep. Um, and then there's no value left to actually do anything with. You know, we just end up in a, in a, in a, a dead zone. But training people to learn entrepreneurship, how to create value. Okay, you know, you go and take this to the market instead of everyone just doing the same thing. Ten people along the same ship of road are trying to sell watermelons. Well, what else do people want? How can we start innovating? Okay, mm-hmm. maybe we can start packaging these up, coming together and shipping them to another country, for example. Yep. Encouraging that is actually going to move humanity forward, I think. Right, yeah. And there's certainly some place, like digging a well is better than not digging a well. Of course. You know, ha- having clean water is, is helpful. Oh, but, 100%. It's, but, it's but it'd be much necessity. better to, you know, given the choice, if you can, you know, teach a team to go around and dig wells, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. Um then that's that's better, but yeah, what you're doing is is huge, kind of using the the power of systems, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, you know, how you can systemize anything, yeah, um, you know, using that to find find self replicating things, and of course, yeah, you know, I think so much of charity is like, look at the charity I did, yeah. um, nah, and not so much to trying to make a difference, and yeah, and to what we we're saying about you know the benefit of rich people is mm-hmm. the people who do the kind of things you're doing have a lot of money. Very people start broke, <laughs> and then and then come up with this idea because because the way of fundraising mm-hmm. requires packaging and marketing in a certain I'm way. And so people are like, what did I get? Well, we're going to build this. Eh, I don't know about a system. Can you dig a well? Yeah. You know, why don't we, we need, just give we, them we, something? We need some pictures of some wells for the yeah, corporate yeah, we, website. We need, 
yeah, we need some happy children. And we need some, you know, whereas you're like, I know what I need to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to build a system, which apparently, which it sounds like also throws off money, which you can then reinvest. Yeah. So you don't it's, have to go out and ask for more money again. I call it entrepreneurial, phila- entrepreneurial philanthropy. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's, that's a huge, powerful concept. I love that. Mm-hmm. So people get in touch with you at, at dreamwithdan.com. Yes, indeed. Uh, anything else you want to share with the people before we, before we let you go? Yeah, life's not all that serious. None of us are getting out alive. Have fun, regardless of regardless of all the things. I mean, we've spoken about some very interesting and heavy things today, and you know, the working class, and you've got one life. You know, yep. regardless of your beliefs about what happens after, mm-hmm. have fun with this thing that we call life. Get some new experiences. See how you can contribute, and remember that what you're putting out is what you're getting back. So, be a decent human. I love it. That's mm-hmm. a great way to start. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad we connected. 100%. Thanks, buddy. This has been the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with your host, Michael Whitehouse. This great theme song is by Patrick Howard. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast. Find the full archive of all episodes at guywhoknowsaguy.com slash podcast. Check out my other podcast, Morning Motivation. It's a daily podcast of two to five minutes with a powerful hit of motivation and inspiration to get your day started. Morningmotivation.fun or search for Morning Motivation wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the community online in the Morning Motivation Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Morning Motivation Podcast. I'm launching a course called Successful ADHD Entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and I've had ADHD for a little bit longer than that. Over that time, I've learned quite a few things that make me quite effective. People even call me organized. After many people ask me to, I have created a course to share what I've learned with you. Get details at neurodiversity.me course. The first run is limited to only 20 students, and the first class is April 20th, so don't put this one off neurodiversity.me slash course.